Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. You're listening to the Exxon Radio Show live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network. Visit us online at www.exxon-radio.com. The X-Zone radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My guest this hour is John Lee Schneider, and he is the author of Extinction. It's his first published novel. He has many interests, as you'll find out during the next hour, including dinosaurs, computer art, and martial arts. And uh, uh, John Lee Schneider, welcome to the Exxon. John, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Welcome to the X-Zone. How are How you are tonight, you? John? I'm doing great. Thanks Thank very much you. for joining us. <laughs> All right. Tell me about Extinction. Well, Extinction is a science fiction novel which mm-hmm. deals with a futuristic uh, post-Armageddon world, and it's populated by dinosaurs. 
There are pockets of surviving humans living all over different parts of the world, but they are reduced to primitive status and thus are easy prey for an alien invasion. And that's the general setup. <laughs> all right, I have to ask you a question here. If this is in the future, where did the dinosaurs come from? <laughs> well, there's all places to get dinosaurs. This is actually the subject of the first few volumes in the series. Extinction is the fourth chapter in a six-book series, and the first uh, several books deal with the resurrection of dinosaurs through genetic engineering. Ah. Uh, the first two are set in modern times, uh, but by the time Extinction rolls around, the setup is more like the beginning of the original Star Wars movie. There's a brief explanation in a scroll, and it jumps right into the action, and all that stuff is already there. Do you think it's possible to genetically engineer dinosaurs? Well, certainly. Uh, genetic engineering uh, is really a matter of you know, using stuff that already exists. DNA is really the primary element in which you need to recover. It's been done with advanced animals such as sheep. So, yes. the, problem you run in, so you, the problem you run into is acquiring the genetic material. So like movies like Jurassic Park, uh, this genetic material was acquired by a billionaire who was able to afford to buy tons and tons of amber and extract DNA from blood drinking by insects that were trapped inside. Now, in practical application, you have to have the billions of dollars to spend in the first place. And scientists who have tried it with four or five insects that have been found have met with a very limited success. Uh, there has been some genetic evidence found, but that may have been contamination through bacteria, and it's very difficult to recover. So unless you have thousands and thousands of specimens to draw from, it's not a real practical approach. But recently, uh, it's been discovered that some genetic as material has actually survived in the fossils themselves. Uh, a young T-Rex female uh, had a leg that was broken for shipping to a museum, and an Alice discovered that they actually had soft tissues preserved inside. Now, this was something that was assumed to be impossible, but was never put to the test because people are reluctant to break priceless fossils. Yeah. But since this discovery, a number of other specimens have been investigated, broken open, and they've discovered similar tissue inside. So the genetic material is there. It's just a matter of requiring enough to produce a dinosaur. All right. Would it be would it be that much different from cloning a, a lamb to cloning a uh, a dinosaur? Well, actually, cloning a lamb would probably be more difficult. It is a more advanced animal. Uh, mm -hmm. the, a cloning a dinosaur would probably be very analogous to cloning a bird and chicken have been subject, for example, to a lot of DNA experiments. Uh, they've been bred for size and, you know, like reproductive ability. So a lot of the work has actually already been done. It's just a there have been cases where people have done experiments. Since birds retain certain genetic, uh, they, they retain genetic memory from their dinosaur ancestors, they've right. been able to They've been able to activate genes that have gone dormant. They've Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and in inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and in inches to their problem areas. 
It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Produce chicken. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. John Lee Schneider is my special guest. We're talking about extinction and cloning dinosaurs. Robin Scarborough would like to know if there was enough uh, blood samples taken out of mosquitoes that are found in amber, would it be possible to clone dinosaurs like they did in Jurassic Park? Well, it has to do with if they did have enough, that's really what the the qualifier would be. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem is that you, you would need a large amount of, of insects to draw upon. The one test that yielded uh, DNA from an insect trapped in amber is subject to a little bit of scrutiny because it may have been a contaminant. Huh. Uh, there's, there's only been five tests run, and four have failed. Uh, it was the first one that actually produced the DNA, but the... The subsequent tests were not able to come up with anything at all. So it really is a matter of coming up with a large quantity of it. And in the case in Jurassic Park was a billionaire that was doing it for profit. Right. In the case of a, of, of a of an amusement park. Is it possible that some scientist somewhere in the world has already cloned a dinosaur? Uh Anything is possible. I suspect that someone would have gone public had they done it. (laughs) 
Although, ironically, that's uh, one of the subjects of the uh, earlier books in the series, uh, where they clone some of these and they get released into the wild, mm-hmm. and that's where they gain foothold. That introduced species sort of thing, a little bit like the pythons down in, in the Everglades. All right, now what about the aliens? Where did they come from? Well, in this particular book in the series, the uh, aliens, uh, we've nicknamed them UFOs, as the characters in the book call them, but they're presented as a fairly straightforward War of the World-type invaders. Uh, in my own little fictional world, however, they do have a little bit of a backstory. Uh, several years before I wrote Extinction, I wrote uh, what amounted to a take on the creature from the Black Lagoon, and the monsters in that turned out to be aliens. Oh, interesting. Uh, so the approach that I took there, that these aliens were not explorers, they were not tradesmen, they were essentially what amounted to this species' version of scuzzy old mountain transients slumming it out in unpopulated reaches of space, you know, essentially not much more than pirates. But these would have been the first to document our planet mm-hmm. in some little lonely corner of the galaxy for the larger interstellar community. And once our resources were cataloged, uh, eventually the strip miners would come. And that's what uh, these aliens are presented as. How accurate, how accurate would you say that the science is in this story? Well, I like to say that it's every bit as accurate as Star Wars science. But uh, <laughs> the uh, science in, you have to start from a realistic ground note. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, you know, you, you need to have, you know, that there to bring the reader in. Uh, the dinosaurs are actually presented very realistically. There's a lot of research behind them. Uh, there's very little that is wrong, or at least impossible in the presentation of dinosaurs. Uh, and anything that it varies from known scientific fact, I've chalked up to genetic uh, alteration. So, <laughs> What kind of genetic alteration? Well, a lot of this stuff advances on ideas that haven't been put to the test. There are uh, examples mm-hmm. of dinosaurs that have larger brains. And they've extrapolated a humanoid-type dinosaur with a you know, large eyes and large brains that stands upright and lost its tail. Right. Uh, some have been bred for gigantism, uh, and some have been given the ability to talk. And this is one of the ones, like, that actually one of the really realistic little nuggets of science fact that is inserted into it, because if you look at it as birds, the descendants of dinosaurs, talking dinosaurs exist today in the form of parrots yeah. and minor birds. So that is actually one of the more accurate parts of the story. You know, when you put it like that, it doesn't seem like science fiction. Well, the story in itself is fiction, uh, but like good science fiction always has a lot of science fact. Now, the T-Rex, he apparently he was the uh, tyrant lizard king, but uh, there's been a lot of talks about T-Rex in recent years, how he was a scavenger, and how they have been larger predators found. For example, uh, what was that larger predator than the T-Rex? Oh, gosh. There, there have been a couple of them that are actually larger. Uh-huh. Uh, it's it's the, the biggest meat-eating dinosaurs these days are descendants of Allosaurus. Uh, they are called the Cacarodont, or shark-toothed carnosaurs. The biggest known member is something called Giganotosaurus, which uh, was down in South America. It means gigantic lizard from the south. Mm-hmm. And they have a certain amount of parallel evolution that, you know, they, they do look outwardly very similar to T-Rex. They have smaller forelimbs. They have very large heads. 
Uh, and they did tend to outweigh the T-Rex. The largest specimens of Giganotosaurus do outweigh the largest specimen of T-Rex. However, T-Rex was the last of the dinosaurs to evolve. I mean, it was the last species on Earth. And as such, it was a very specialized dinosaur. It had, uh, in addition to the large body size, which was still comparable to the other large meat eaters, it had very powerful jaws. It had adaptations such as binocular vision. Uh, it had larger brain. And it had adaptations for speed, which was not shared by the other large meat eaters. So in terms of a face-to-face -face confrontation between the two of them, it might be considered uh, a pit bull versus a German shepherd, where it would be a much more powerful uh, for its weight creature. You know, your book, your book puts into perspective the possibility that life here on Earth may have been started by genetic engineering from visitors from another planet. That's one of those things that comes up from time to time. Uh, personally, I think that's sort of dodging the issue because it would have had to start somewhere and just if we were planted by aliens uh it, it you know the aliens themselves would have had to have been planted mm -hmm. by someone and there you got the chicken and the egg thing going yeah. uh personally i think that uh life evolves on many different planets and if it evolved on one it could very easily evolve on the other on the other hand there really would be nothing to stop an advanced species to come to a primitive planet and perform experiments and, you know, just to see what would happen. I mean, we've certainly done stuff in our own third world, and we've done stuff like that in our own wilderness. Right. So life as we know it, do you think actually evolved as a process as depicted here on this planet? I have heard it compared uh, to the process of crystallization. Uh, it's the same on the moon as it is on Mars. Uh, if you put the right elements together, it's, it's like raising bread dough. It, 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 it happens. Uh, it's like a, it, I've, I think Michael Crichton described it as a self-organizing uh, process, that if you put the right elements together, it, it will happen. And with all of space out there, it seems like a lot of, a lot of opportunity for that to happen. It's uh, it's it's just so hard to to imagine. Well, maybe for you it's not, but I, I'm sitting here thinking. All right, getting a getting. Well, how much blood would we, would they have to get from the mosquitoes in order to clone a dinosaur? Are we talking a couple of drops? Are we talking uh, a milliliter? What are we talking about here in quantity? I probably couldn't come up with an exact quantity, but you would need something to give at least uh, the entire DNA strand. Now, that is a very small uh, quantity. You know, mm -hmm. you can get DNA from, you know, like, well, this, you can get it from bacteria. And that's why some of the DNA which has been extracted from amber has been subject to question because, well, they can't prove that the DNA that they have recovered was from an animal that was, you know, bitten back in the Cretaceous period. It could have been something that was contaminated right there on the desk. But it, you know, it would have to be a very small amount, actually, but you would the problem in order to get the entire DNA strand, especially something that was 70 million years old, ha it, it is subject to decay. And so like, if you get a piece of it, you might get half a piece, you might get a quarter piece, or, or very much less. So, And then especially if you have several different specimens, mm -hmm. you might have the, the DNA from several different animals. 
So, I mean, there would be the problem there. All right, but let's take it from the soft tissue within the bones of a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Um, that has yielded much more uh, potential uh, because, first of all, everything you find within the dinosaur bone uh, would be from the same animal. Exactly. It would be a case of, yeah. And you would, uh, and the other thing is, that you would know what animal it is to be from the start. The T. Rex, which was broken, they found a lot of things from that T. Rex. First off, they discovered that it was a pregnant female, mm -hmm. uh, to do with uh, growth tissues that are only present in laying birds. Uh, and they have also discovered that they found. I mean, as they said, they've gone into other thigh bones and broke, which is one of the largest bones in T. Rex. They've gone in and they've discovered similar tissue in other specimens. So they've reached the point where they actually have access to what might be sufficient material to do it. It's quite interesting. Just imagine that, cloning a dinosaur and bringing the past back to life. I certainly hope someone tries it. Yeah. <laughs> Can you just imagine the possibilities? Maybe Once we could get a... That... Pardon? Once you got that going, really, you could eliminate extinction for endangered species. I mean, if you had, you know, whales that were dying, That's you know, right. it would be something where you could, uh, you know, go a long ways to eliminating world hunger, especially mm -hmm. in areas like uh, where fishing has dried up because of dead zones uh, and climate change. It, it has unlimited potential. When we come back from this commercial break with the news, uh, John, I have a couple more questions from the listeners. John okay. Lee Schneider is our special guest. And his website is www.crossquarter.com. That's www.crossquarter.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this news break as the Exxon continues live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network. Don't go away. If you've got kids, chances are sooner or later you're going to need dental help. And when you do, I hope you'll remember 1995dental.com. 1995dental.com tells you how to save about 50% on braces for your kids, similar savings on other services. Because this isn't insurance, there is no waiting period, no exclusion, no claim forms to fill out. You get instant savings from tens of thousands of dentists coast to coast. Unlike a lot of insurance policies, this discount program covers cosmetic dentistry, bonding, and cleaning. For the individual, it's $11.95 a month. But for the entire family, everyone who lives under your roof, regardless of age or relationship, it's $19.95 a month. Hence our name, 1995dental.com. Type in the numbers 1995, then the word dental.com. 1995dental.com will save you. Amethyst works with your guides, angels, and spirit animals to assist you in catalyzing your inner healer, clearing your psychic and spiritual debris, integrating your lost soul parts, illuminating your journey, energizing your spirit, opening your psychic senses, exercising your multidimensional gifts, activating your purpose, empowering your soul, validating your experiences, navigating life's transitions, guiding your process, awakening your spiritual essence, balancing your energies, tapping into the creative flow, realizing your dreams, visioning your destiny, 
dreaming your world into being, being who you really are. Amethyst is an Exxon iPod partner and can be visited online at www.answersfromyourangels.com or from your Exxon iPod by touching the Angels widget on the main screen. Amethyst, www.answersfromyourangels.com We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. I'm Rob McConnell, and welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Today on the X-Zone, Bessie, the lake monster of Lake Erie. From the time the ice starts to break and flow on Lake Erie, monster trackers start their never-ending quest to prove the existence of Lake Erie's monster, Bessie. When it comes to looking for Bessie, internet provider and developer, Dirk Vanderplug of Hamilton, Ontario, starts his electronic and physical search from his Lake Erie cottage. Using a television camera that is equipped with night vision technology connected to a computer, Vanderplug and his group of dedicated monster trackers around the world spend countless hours watching computer screens in the hope to get a glimpse of the elusive Bessie at www.monstertracker.com. Spring through fall, Vanderplug and people along Lake Erie shoreline continue their search for proof that the elusive and legendary Bessie does in fact exist. Hi, this is Eric Rawls of Cosmoverse.com, and you're listening to Rob McConnell in the Exxon. Hi, this is Blade Runner, and you are listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Hi, I'm Laura Sabrin of Feast to Fields Organic Vineyards in Jordan, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Hi, my name is Lady Ashley, the White Witch of Niagara-on-the-Lake, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal talk radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. John Lee Snyder is our special guest. We were talking about his book, Extinction, and uh, during the commercial break, I was, I, I was just thinking that, you know, 
the possibilities that lie ahead in our future to resurrect the past are just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Just, Im- just imagine being able to bring back someone from the dead. You could bring back the physical body of someone from the dead, mm-hmm. uh, but it would be a case of, for example, bringing back a person from the dead. It would be similar to, it would be a whole new person. It, it wouldn't have the personality or the soul or uh, any of the life experience of the person you were trying to clone. Uh, it would basically be a copy of of the person. It would, on the other hand, uh, present a lot of possibilities for things like organ transplant, yes. limb, uh, that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as far as bringing back a person, you couldn't, for example, resurrect Beethoven and expect to come up with like a whole bunch of new music. So because that would have been something that he would have had to have learned during his lifetime. All right, but let's take a look at. Um, let me see uh, the. The prehistoric men that they're finding that are frozen, mm-hmm. thawing them out to a point where you can actually extract DNA and clone them. Would we be cloning a Neanderthal, or would we be cloning a a modern day man? You would be well. I mean, if you consider the Neanderthal a different species, which mm-hmm. is what I believe most most scientists do, you would be cloning a Neanderthal man. Now, as I said, it wouldn't be the exact man. It would be like the equivalent of a twin brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it, it would not be a Neanderthal man that would have had memories of being uh, living among mastodons and all that, but it would be a, a genetically identical copy of that man. I wonder if there's going to be a time where you can actually clone memories as well. Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger did a movie something like that a few years ago where they had what amounted to a, a uh, genetic photograph of a person's memories. Was that Total uh, Recall? Again, no, that was, I believe, The Sixth Day. Oh, right. Yes, and that was a case. But once again, it was also a case of you had another one and you would have copied the memories. It might be an exact copy but the person that you're cloning would still be dead. It, it would not be. In fact, they had a scene in the movie where one of the, the actual person was dying and was able to talk to the clone that was going to replace him. So it, like, it would be a case of it. It would be another scenario between brother, although it would be a closer match since you were able to record the memories and, and past of the person being cloned. What's next in the series after Extinction? Well, there are two more books in the series. There were three that preceded it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the immediate follow-up is a book called Space Dragons, as opposed to the Earth Dragons. Uh, and this deals with a plague of monsters that actually try to eat the planet. Uh, and moving beyond that to the final book in the series, Escalating, they have a monster that eats the entire universe, which makes more sense once you read it. But <laughs> Talk about a heavy appetite, huh? Oh, yes. It keeps getting bigger. <laughs> what inspired you to be an author? I was always into the pulp science fictions as a kid. Uh, I really liked the H.G. Wells books. Mm-hmm. Um, the Time Machine, for example, oh, was, that one was one of my all-time yeah. favorites. Uh, the War of the Worlds, obviously, was a, was a good one. First Men in the Moon, I could go on for that. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, who did a lot of dinosaur stories in addition to Tarzan and 
uh, a lot of that. Um, my modern uh, inspiration, Stephen King actually was a big one uh, because I like his writing style, first of all. I like the way he was able to ground what seemed like impossible scenarios in reality, and you know, which, which made the things that you know, were going to be scary much more, you, you were much more able to accept them. So, and plus he did it with a sense of humor, and that, you know, was able to actually heighten the tension because you made your, you actually found yourself liking the characters. Mm-hmm. Michael Tell Crichton. Me. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go Michael go, go. Crichton. Michael Crichton was uh, an influence in terms of his scientific thought. I, I really am impressed with the amount of research that he does for his books. Um, and I actually enjoyed Michael, or Thomas Harris uh, books in the, he probably know him best from the Silence of the Lambs series, yeah. which was a you know, very direct style of writing. That really is more a stylistic influence as opposed to uh, a content thing. But those are the primary inspirations. What was it like after coming up with the concept, writing it, submitting it, doing the rewrites, and then seeing your, your book in print? Your very first what book I in act- print, yeah. When I actually got the letter that it was in print, I had received so many rejection letters, I didn't even expect it. <laughs> I, I picked up the, the letter that said, okay, we've decided to publish your book, mm-hmm. and I read it and reread it, and yeah, that's what it says. And, <laughs> and once I got in the book, I mean, I called everybody, and you know, everybody bought a copy. It was wow. even got a few signed out there. It was really a neat experience. <laughs> What words of inspiration do, would you have for someone listening tonight who's been thinking about writing a story and they've just held back? How would you inspire them to get their thoughts on paper? Uh, first, you just have to dedicate. It's like doing anything mm-hmm. that you want to do. I mean, you have to commit yourself to doing it. Writing a book is a lot of work. I mean, it really is a time-consuming process. Uh, getting published is actually even more so. When uh, I wrote my first book, I guess as a kid, I would have been probably about 18 years old, just out of high school. I just assumed that well, I'll send it in to someone and they'll print up a copy and you know that'll be that. But there are many, many things that you actually have to learn besides writing the book itself, which is no easy task. I mean, when you write something on paper, you have to, you know, first of all, think it out in advance. I mean, there's the actual writing process. But then you have to get, uh, you have to get opinions from people. You have to let them, let people read it and see if they are actually understanding what you're writing. It, it's very difficult to, to imprint your thoughts on another person. I always like to use the example of giving someone that doesn't know how to drive written instructions how to drive a car down the street you know how easy would be that be to describe you know so i mean there's there's it's like anything any skill you need to put work into it to develop it um and then once you've actually got the product which would be the book you have to learn how to present it uh you have to pick out your uh your market you have to find publishers that publish the type of stories that you write uh, you also have to present it in such a way that seems professional. Uh, and then you also have to do something that uh, gets the attention of the publisher. that says, why should I publish this as opposed to the other 100 manuscripts which I saw today? And it's a matter of uh, being struck by lightning. You know, it's being in the right place at the right time. But, I mean, it, you know, the right time is in the lap of the gods. But anybody can work their way to the right place and wait. 
One question I've got from Sally, who listens to us in Wichita. She'd like to know, why do little boys have such a fascination with dinosaurs? I don't know that it's just little boys, because I had one as a little boy, and I still have one as a grown man. <laughs> but uh, I think it's because they're big, they're, you know, they're scary, they're, they're like the, the monsters you see on TV, mm -hmm. except that these guys are real. You know, and I think that really is it in a nutshell. Plus, they have, you know, exotic, scary-sounding names, you know, with 12 syllables, Argentinosaurus, Triceratops, Tyrannosaurus rex. They're very, it's just an exciting subject. Got another question here. Would a woolly mammoth be easier that was found in the Arctic to clone? Uh, they, frankly, they ought to be able to do that if they want to. They have the entire they have the entire carcass. Mm -hmm. I saw a special on the Discovery Channel where they were talking about doing that, but you know it's it's a matter of someone spending the money, and you know, which would probably be quite a costly process. But it really should be no more difficult to clone uh, woolly mammoth, which has been pretty much frozen for less than ten thousand years, I would guess. Uh, I mean, they would probably have all the genetic material they need. So, right. I mean, it, it probably could be done today. Hmm. Just imagine that. A imagine going to the zoo and seeing a woolly mammoth. That would be so cool. Well, I mean, we essentially got elephants, which is a very close relation. Yeah. Uh, the woolly mammoth uh, was obviously ad adapted to a colder environment, so it would have had hair, but there isn't a lot of difference between that and the modern elephant. Well, you're right. Once again, animals adapt better to the to the climate than humans do. For me, I said animals um, adapt better to a change in climate than humans do. Well, humans have a tendency to adapt the climate to them. Like okay, well, I'm going to build a house and yep. build a fireplace inside it. Whereas animals will evolve, or else they'll migrate. Uh, birds obviously fly south for the winter because it's warmer there. Um, on the other hand, evolution is a longer process. So if things get cold, there could be species that die out, and they may have descendants that survive. You know, with, that grow hair and. Uh, things that you know might be more ad adapted to a colder environment or a warmer environment, whatever it would be. Uh, we've actually, because of our brains, have moved beyond the necessity to actually have physical change. One of our listeners uh, writes me and says, uh, Hi, Rob, I've been listening to you and John discuss the dinosaur cloning. And wouldn't it be beneficial to science if they were to take an entire dinosaur skeleton and just try and get as much DNA out of this skeleton as possible, regardless of the cost, because then you could actually clone a living dinosaur. Which scientist would not want to do this? Well, it, it, first of all, there aren't a whole lot of dinosaur fossils out there. I mean, so, like, we are talking about something that, we, I mean, for example, I believe Sue, the T-Rex, sold for something in the region of $7 million dollars. Uh, you know, so we are talking about some, and also something not just valuable but irreplaceable. So there's a lot of research and knowledge that can be gained from just the skeleton in itself. And you know, it, I mean, at this point, it's still a bit of a long shot to get the genetic material out of the up, out of out of the bones because, as I said, it was something that they did not believe possible until they actually looked at it. 
Uh, and also, there are bones, for example, like you know the smaller vertebrae bones, which might be big by human standards, that would not be necessarily, you know, like a thigh bone, which is where they found the the genetic material in the T. Rex, is a large bone. Uh, some of the smaller ones might not have stuff as well preserved, and so it would be a case of destroying the fossil for no reason. So, but I believe that it's something that people are going to look into, and as they've done, as they've done with some of the other thigh bones, they have discovered that okay, there is a little bit here. Uh, whether mm -hmm. it's not, whether it is enough to work with yet, remains to be seen. Here's an interesting question: Why do we need to study dinosaurs? They were here; they're gone. That's it. Uh. Well, first of all, I mean, it is an interesting subject. Um, there's things that you can learn from about the modern world. For example, why do they go extinct? Uh, because every species eventually goes extinct. We're talking about a species, not just necessarily species, actually an entire genre of animals that existed on the planet for 150 million years. Now, we as a species, as a recognizable human, have been on the planet for around 30,000. So, I mean, you're talking about a very successful successful clan that, in fact, still exists today in, in the form of birds. Um, you know, I mean, just on the strength that they were very interesting, right. you know, that that's something like I, I mean, that's primarily the reason I studied them. But uh, there is value that you can get out of learning from the past. I mean, the same as you can learn about human history, you can learn about what's going on in the world today. All right, stand by, John. You and I have to take our final break. John Lee Schneider is our special guest. His website is www.crossquarter.com. That's www.crossquarter.com. And for all you people out there with iPods, the X-Zone will be available at the App Store on iTunes starting August the 22nd. My name's Rob McConnell. This is the X-Zone live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. Don't go away. If you've ever wondered about past lives or even life between lives, and you think the whole idea is a little strange, you're not alone. Dr. Georgina Cannon, author of the books Return, Past Life Regression, and You, and her latest book, Discovering the Interlife, writes her books to remove the woo-woo from these regression protocols and to show the therapeutic benefit and opportunities that happen with these journeys. Discovering the Interlife is the one book you'll need as you continue on your life journey. As Shirley MacLaine said about the book, This is a very, very powerful work. So be kind to yourself and find out more about Discovering the Interlife at www.lifebetweenlivescanada.com. That's www.lifebetweenlivescanada.com. You'll be glad you did. To contact Dr. Georgina Cannon at the Ontario Hypnosis Centre in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, visit www.ontariohypnosiscenter.com. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, whoa, whoa! 
The cat is finally out of the bag. Secrets of Cat Attitude Revealed. This is the no copycat book that gives you the X Factor in personable insight and experience to understanding cat behavior and solving problems from the cat's point of view. Learn the secrets of Cat Attitude Revealed by Carolyn Bartz that will take the relationship with your cat up a notch and to the next level. Discover why cat owners live longer, healthier lives. Medical facts revealed and why your cat can't help it. Digital photos to guide you in cat care. Safety tips, historical and myth gems, and a fun enlightening quiz. The perfect gift for smart cat owners and cat lovers. If you love your cat, take the journey now. Don't wait. To order your copy of Secrets of Cat Attitude Revealed, visit www.secretsofcatattiturevealed.com. Secrets of Cat Attitude Revealed, the perfect gift for smart cat owners and cat lovers. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hey you, yeah you, have you heard about HazelineGuns.com, the best firearms dealer in the D.C. area? Buying a firearm online from HazelineGuns.com is secure, easy, and cost-effective with no transfer fees and only a $25 state processing fee. Discounts available for active law enforcement, first responders, and military personnel at HazelineGuns.com, where every day is like Black Friday. What are you waiting for? Visit HazelineGuns.com today. That's H-A-Z-E-L-I-N-E-G-U-N-S.com. John Lee Snyder is our very special guest. He's the author of Extinction. His website is www.crossquarter.com. That's www.crossquarter.com. John, over the break, I uh, received a note from one of our listeners saying, Hey, Rob, why couldn't they take the DNA from that so-called Sasquatch that was found in a freezer in Georgia and grow a real Sasquatch? Well, that's because... They didn't get any DNA from the so-called Sasquatch. All it was was a bunch of media hype. Tom Biscardi was there. He, it was literally a, uh, a commercial for his Internet radio show. And, you know, it's there he is. He wants to do an autopsy, have it filmed. And uh, it's shades of alien autopsy all over again. So that's my opinion on that, Robert Mor- Robert W. Morgan, and I will be talking about the press conference as well as the find of this Bigfoot and some interesting uh, facts that we found out about the gentleman who found Bigfoot. That's in hour number four tonight, coming up in two hours from now. John, thanks very much for joining us. It's certainly been a pleasure. I, I wish you much success and uh, hope that we have the pleasure of talking to you again in the future. All right, thank you very much. Now, now before you before you go, I have to ask you, what is your favorite dinosaur? 
Oh, absolutely, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Is is he's he's the big meat eater, isn't he? Oh yeah, still king of the dinosaurs. <laughs> I don't know. When I was a kid, I I liked the Brontosaurus for some reason. Oh, Brontosaurus is there too, but yeah. you know, T Rex has got to be my number one. <laughs> And then, of course, one of our listeners uh, just uh, sent me an IM saying, hey, don't forget the Flintstones, Rob. They kept the dinosaurs alive. <laughs> very good. All right, you take care of yourself, sir. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks a lot. Good night, John. John Lee Schneider, www.crossquarter.com. When we come back from the news at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past, I will be joined by Elizabeth Joyce. We're going to be talking, Exonation, about psychic attacks. Are psychic attacks responsible for the increase in domestic violence, the increase of shootings, the increase in murders? Is it possible that forces beyond this realm of reality have decided to make their presence known by using psychic attacks? Or is it the will of people in this reality, people that you and I call friends, neighbors, acquaintances, are they responsible for the increase in psychic attacks? What is a psychic attack and how can we protect ourselves from being attacked by other people who are after our psychic abilities? Not the abilities to see the future, but the ability to bring us down. That's coming up in the next hour with our good friend Elizabeth Joyce. And as I said, the final hour of tonight, we'll be talking about Bigfoot. They had that press conference in, in Palo Alto this afternoon. Every major media is calling it a hoax. Bigfoot researchers are calling this whole thing a scam, a hoax. After all, Tom Biscardi is nothing more than a Las Vegas promoter. That's all he is. That's what his expertise is. And he saw Bigfoot as a way of milking people from their hard-earned money. More of the Exxon when we come back on the other side of this commercial break with the news. When Elizabeth Joyce joins me at six and a half minutes past the hour. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. My producer tonight at the Master Control in White Springs, Florida, is the one and only newbie. We'll all be back on the other side. Don't go away. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.